0: You know, this is a really cool Sunday. Um, it's first Sunday of the year, like Chad mentioned already, and it's a chance to worship together with people from around our community. Just not just our usual Sunday crew, which we have a great Sunday crew. I'm happy to be a part of First Baptist Church, but there's just something special about churches coming uh, together and worshiping together. You know, I know for for Justin and Eric and I, this the foundation for something like this happening started. Years ago, actually, as youth pastors working together, um, just working through a passion to see our our youth unified uh, as one body a couple times a year, and to see a bigger picture of God's kingdom, which then grew into United, which is a uh, youth worship service, if you're unfamiliar with it. It was something we did biannually before COVID, and now we're bringing that back March 19th, so youth, middle school, and high school. Uh, be looking forward to that, put that on your calendar March 19th is going to be united again at the McBain Auditorium. It was just I think we had like what five hundred and fifty kids or something like that at our last one you know it 's really cool to see that many youth from around the area to come together just for a night of worship so um, and that 's grown into a greater effort on a, parts of youth pastors and pastors across Cadillac to unify uh, to meet for prayer to plan community events. Uh, encounter worship nights, and just to be together in one house like this on a Sunday morning. So often it seems like churches are in competition, almost. It's like that kind of like unwritten, kind of lays below the surface um, where you're like, we don't want to steal people from our church, but we kind of do, but we don't. That's not what we're about here at First Baptist (laughs) or The Refuge, okay? That's not, that's not... That's not us, and I think this morning really signifies that, you know, to be together in one house. Uh, We want to see our community more reflect the intended picture of God's kingdom, uh, and there's no possible way that we can achieve that on our own, right? One church cannot possibly reflect perfectly the kingdom of God to the community, and that's why we need multiple churches like First Baptist and The Refuge and Revival Center and all the churches there are. So it's just a really cool opportunity, I think, to be here together. So with that being said, if you're new here this morning from uh, The Refuge, I am Pastor Travis. I am the discipleship pastor here at First Baptist Church. Uh, You may have remembered me from the summer when I filled in for Eric one week. Um, And could our pastors, anybody who's a pastor at The Refuge or uh, First Baptist, could just stand up a minute? I want to make sure we point these guys out. Chad? Justin, David is in First Baptist, or First uh, FBC Kids. David's on the left. And for all of you First Baptist folks, that's Pastor Eric on the right. Uh, I didn't want to leave anybody out this morning. Uh, so, yeah. As I was thinking about what God would have me preach this morning, the idea of pursuing Christ is one that continued to come to mind. Uh, kind of, you know, that, that New Year's message. And it was one that actually... When Justin and I sat down two weeks ago to start planning the service out, we talked about something completely different. (laughs) And uh, this scripture is one that God kept coming to mind. And it felt like tough to separate myself from what we had kind of planned because God was saying, hey, that's great and all, but I got something else for you to say this morning. The word ideal is described as existing only in the imagination. Desirable or perfect, but not likely to become reality. That's that's how ideal is defined. And I guess what I mean by that is, is I believe that we're called to strive for a higher degree of excellence when it comes to our relationship with God. This morning, is, we're going to talk about discipleship. Um, that's what we're talking about. And sometimes we, we think about discipleship as an ideal. It's this idea that we... We, need, we know we're supposed to strive for it, but we'll never get there. And sometimes in the back of our mind, we think something else. So what I mean is I believe we're called to strive for a high degree of excellence when it comes to our relationship with God. That's right. To do our very best to live as Jesus has called us through his teaching. But I think we often approach discipleship with this caveat, right? Jesus Christ is the ideal that we're called to, but... We'll never attain the completeness of who Christ is. I think sometimes in the back of our mind, that's what's kind of rolling around, and that's that's true, or at least partially true. But the problem often is, we're subconsciously lowering the lowering the bar of what's expected of us. When we when we come to that with the idea that we know that we're never quite going to attain that, in the back of our minds, we kind of lower the bar and say it's okay if I don't attain it. But we're still called to try. And if we fall short, we fall short, but we're still called to strive and do our best and per- pursue that. So I've know, I know I've mentioned this here before, but sometimes it also often seems that out of fear of our effort of, to become like Christ is sometimes being mistaken for works righteousness. Uh, and sometimes because of that, we've decided that whatever Christ does in our lives without us per- participating enough, It just seems like sometimes we we write it off and say, I can't achieve my salvation. I can't work for it, so I'm not going to (laughs) try. I'm going to let God do whatever he's going to do, and that's just going to be enough. But that seems like a warped view of what faith is to me. So we're going to jump into Philippians 3 this morning. We're going to look at what Paul has to say about discipleship. Uh, But before we get there, let's just take a second and pray. God, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be here uh, to deliver your word. And I pray this morning, God, that it's your message and not mine. And I pray that it sets us off on the right foot as we pursue your kingdom this year. God, you are an amazing God. I pray that you would open our eyes to see your face this morning, our ears to hear your word, and I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive it and to apply it in our lives. God, we live to serve you you are an amazing God. you your me pray. Amen. If you're following along in the Bible this morning, like I said, we're going to be in Philippians 3, so I'll give you just a quick second to get there. Generally, I love the ESV and I preach on the ESV, but this morning is actually one of those times that I prefer another version, the, the New, New American Standard Bible. I like the way that it just translates this passage, so that's where I'm reading from this morning. So it'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know of him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So let's just pause there for a, real minute, for a second. Just before verse seven, Paul has gone through this list of credentials that establish him as a leader among leaders. right? The things that would bring him honor, the things that would bring him praise among his peers. And he's saying that None of that matters. None of it matters. In fact, verse 8, which is the key for our understanding of where we're headed this morning, he says, nothing matters. In the view of the value of simply knowing Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. In view of the value of simply knowing him, nothing else matters. Verse 10, knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering far surpasses the value of anything that he could add to his life. No amount of power, honor, wealth, wisdom, relationships among peers. None of it holds a candle simply to the worth of knowing Jesus Christ. So let's pick back up uh, in the passage. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do: forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul uses some ambiguous terms here, right? He says, "Not that I have obtained, not that I have obtained it, not that I have laid hold of that." having laid hold of it, the it that he's talking about is a complete and perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right. That was, that's what he's talking about. That's what he felt that he was called to. As we pursue Christ, that should be our goal, a perfect and complete knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So as we look at these three verses, we can break them into two sections. Verse 12 which is we have three principles to understand about this calling. And then in verse 13 and 14, we kind of have a direction pursuing Christ. So I want to keep this fairly short. I'm not going to dive super deep into any one of these three principles, but I think they're important to know. So the first one is this. I love the way that, that James Montgomery Boyce said it in this commentary. The call of discipleship must begin with the power of God to make a spiritually dead person alive. For only then are the standards of that calling significant. We all start at the place of God's calling. That's the first principle. We all start at the place of God's calling. We've all been called according to God's purpose and offered the chance to respond in faith to that calling. All throughout the Bible, we see God calling people, often unsuspecting people at unexpected moments to work according to his will and to achieve his purpose. In Genesis, we see Abraham, called by God. He's living in the land of his forefathers. Seems like he's pretty content with the world. He's satisfied with with his lot in life. And then he's called out of that life into a new covenant and a new land. And Abraham follows. We see Moses, who's taken hold of God while he was a baby floating in the Nile River and placed into the household of Pharaoh to become a leader of his people, a means to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt later in life. And when that call came, Moses followed. We see David anointed as a young shepherd. John the Baptist, chosen before he was born. Jesus calling his disciples, right, the future leaders of the Christian movement while they were just fishermen. And Paul was called while he was persecuting Christians. Each of these men of faith, people who we look up to, people who we reference as people who followed God faithfully, were people who started at a moment of calling and responded faithfully to God's calling. In verse 12, Paul says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul's journey towards really knowing Christ started on that, at that moment on the road to Damascus when he was blinded. And then miraculously healed after hearing from Jesus and trusting in him. Our journey of discipleship starts at the point of being called by God, and it's pointless to try pressing forward without first accepting that call and submitting our will to the will of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Unless we're starting from a point of redemption, having been made a new creation, all of our efforts... Are nothing Until we've accepted Christ, until we've submitted our will to Christ, until we have sold out for him completely, all our efforts are worthless. So if you are somebody this morning who's on the fence about whether you should accept Christ or not, whether you want to submit your will to him, maybe you're somebody who's given yourself partially and you're still on the fence holding a little bit of yourself back, If that's you this morning, I encourage you, don't wait till the end of the service. Don't wait for the rest of the message right now in this moment. Otherwise, the rest of this journey, the rest of what we're going to talk about, the rest of those efforts are just an exercise in futility. The second principle in understanding this discipleship or becoming a disciple of Christ is in becoming aware that God has called us for a purpose. Not only has he called us, but he's called us for a purpose. Paul says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that which I was laid hold of by Christ. Or or so that I may take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Most of us are pretty familiar with Romans 8.28, right? We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But how many of us are just as familiar with verse 29? The purpose for which he's called us to. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he might be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among brothers. If you are a Christian, if you've responded to God's calling, God has saved you to make you as holy, loving, pure, and gracious as Jesus Christ. We all have a common calling, which is to continue striving for this perfect knowledge of who Jesus is. And as we continue to grasp a hold of who he is in our lives, as we continue getting to know who Jesus is, we'll continue to grow in our understanding of the ways that that calling expresses itself uniquely in each of our lives. Without first knowing Christ, we can't possibly know what it is that he has for each of us to do. And the third principle, God's calling on each of our lives is personal. Meaning it requires something of each of us. Jesus has taken that first step, right? He's made redemption possible. He's done all the heavy lifting. He came as a baby at Christmas, which we just celebrated a week ago. He came, he lived a perfect life. He chose to endure a life of suffering. He was crucified on a cross so that we could put our faith in him and be made righteous before God. He took our sin upon himself as a perfect sacrifice because we were unable. And then he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death so that we could live in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we still have a personal decision to make. Will we accept his sacrifice and follow Christ or refuse his sacrifice and go on living for ourselves? once we've made that decision to follow Christ, we begin to understand where God is leading. We quickly find that God is calling us to turn fully to him, not partially. In James uh, Montgomery Boyce's commentary, he says, there are always Christians who think they can be Christ's disciples piecemeal. They think they can follow him an inch at a time after first assuring themselves that there is no danger and that following him also conforms to their own plans for themselves and their future. But this is not discipleship at all. Discipleship means abandoning your sin, your past your own conception of yourself, your plans for your own future, even at times friends and family, if that is God's will for you in following Jesus. It sounds difficult. It sounds like a major sacrifice. And at times, it is a sacrifice. It feels like a sacrifice. It's meant to be sacrificial just like Christ was sacrificial on the cross. But it's nothing in comparison to the new life that Christ gives us, that sacrifice pales into comparison in the newness, or to the newness that Christ brings us. I remember in high school being deeply impacted by uh, the testimony of one of the guys who was in our college ministry, and I, I'm not going to share any names. I don't know if we're posting a recording of this later or not, uh, but I know there's still some tension in their family. But one of these guys in our college ministries, he he grew up in a very traditional Muslim family. And through sports and relationships with some of the students at our, at our church, he and his brother eventually accepted Christ. And they knew that by doing so, there was a really good chance that their family would disown them, that they would cast them out of the house, that they'd break off contact. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. When they accepted Christ, the family basically acted as if they didn't exist. It wasn't until one of the brothers passed away unexpectedly, And his family saw this outpouring of love at his funeral, the stories of people that those two brothers had um, impacted that they finally opened up to any kind of communication with the remaining brother. Those guys knew the potential for hardship. They knew exactly what putting their faith in Christ meant for them and their family, and they chose Jesus anyways. Not only were their lives greatly impacted, but hundreds, if not thousands, of other people through the college ministries that they worked in were greatly impacted. And then eventually their families. There's this guy, William Borden. He graduated Yale. He decided he wanted to go to China as a missionary. And when many of his friends told him it was foolish, he went anyways. Before he even reached China. Before he even got to the mission field, he contracted an illness and he died. Some of his friends found a note on his bedstand that he had written as he laid there dying. It said, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Which is amazing to think about. He gave up everything that he he went through school for (laughs) to go to life on a missionary field. And before he even got the chance to do anything there, he passed away, and his last words that he wrote down were no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. He gave up everything, and yet to him it meant nothing in comparison to what he knew was he was gaining in Christ. As I continue to read through verse 13 and 14, I, I couldn't help but think about mountain biking. I'm a big mountain biker, if you don't know that. Unfortunately, I haven't done it as much since I moved back to Michigan, and it kind of pains me a little bit. <laughs> But it is like my favorite sport, my favorite thing to do. I wish growing up in Michigan there had been a high school mountain biking team because that would have been, that would have been primo. That would have been my my thing for sure. So as I was reading this, I couldn't help but think about mountain biking. Paul's using this analogy of of running a race, and it really put me right back on the seat of my mountain bike in Virginia. And what Paul is saying, there's three things that he had to do to, to press ahead. He said this, right, verse 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In mountain biking, sight is critical for having a good ride. You're always supposed to be scanning the trail 15 to 20 feet in front of you. You don't want to look down at your front wheel. You've got to keep an eye on what's coming up um, so that you can see what what obstacles are coming in and prepare yourself. As you ride, things come up pretty quick. It's not a slow thing. The rocks and the roots, the twists and the turns, they come into sight pretty quick and you pass by them pretty quick. And as you're clearing them physically, you're already turning your attention to what's to come. You're already moving on in the ride all with the goal of enjoying the ride and finishing it safely. So Paul gives us three practical steps as we step forward into this new year to pursue him, to truly know who Christ is and his purpose for our lives. Forgetting what is behind, right? That's the first thing, forgetting what is behind. Paul is not saying to forget God's blessings. He's not saying to forget what you've learned or the people who are in your life. He might be calling you to move on some, from some relationships, he may be calling you to, to leave some things behind, but at the heart of what Paul is saying is not letting the past dictate your future. Right? Don't let what's happened in the past dictate your future. Right? When you ride a trail, it's a good idea to remember the journey, to learn from the obstacles that you've come through. It's good to file them away so the next time you come to that place in the trail, you have a better way of passing through. That's great, just the same in life. It's good to remember the way that God's blessed, the way that God's worked, the way that God's provided, so that as we come up to similar moments, we can move through them with greater ease. But it isn't good to get so caught up in those moments biking that you stop looking ahead. It's It's not good to get caught up in so much in one obstacle that you can't see further down the trail, or to let the memory of one ride that's so good stop you from trying other trails. That's how you stop progressing, right? That's how you stop developing your ability when you get stuck in one rut doing the same thing over and over again. The same is true as Christians. Paul wants us to remember what's important, what is important and, and to learn from the past but not let it be the thing that anchors us in place, to not let it stop us from leaning into a deeper, greater knowledge of him and to experiencing the spirit move in new ways. Sometimes we experience something in our life that's so great, right? God blesses us in one way that is so good that we don't ever want to leave that moment. And maybe you've had like a camp experience or a worship experience where God spoke and it felt like he was speaking directly to you and you wish you could revisit that moment all the time. You just want to get back to that place but the thing is, in getting back to that place, it stops us from moving forward into the future. And we've all been around that one person who can't stop talking about how great high school sports were, how great high, those high school days were, how perfect something seemed in the past. And it seems like a lot of times we think to ourselves, cool, like, what life are you living now? Like, what's happening now? You're 50 years old. What's happening Now? It's unhealthy to be so stuck in the past that we can't look to the future. The second thing that Paul tells us to do is to reach forward to what lies ahead. Paul uses the term upward, or depending on the version, heavenward. But regardless, it implies a moving upward, a moving forward, and it implies progression. And I think sometimes it's easy to read this verse and think, Paul is saying, I press on for heaven which, to some degree, is true. But it's also true that Christ wants us to take life day by day. In mountain biking, I don't ride with, with tunnel vision, right? I don't get so focused on the parking lot at the end of the trail that I fail to see what's happening, that I fail to enjoy each moment as it passes. To focus singularly on heaven without experiencing the blessings and the provision that God brings us daily To live with an eye on heaven but to ignore what's happening around us, to ignore those in need or the work that God has called us to in this moment is to miss a huge part of the point. God hasn't saved us for heaven alone. He's left us as ambassadors of the kingdom of God implying that there is work to be done. We should wake up each day asking that God would open our eyes to the work that he's prepared for us in raising our children, doing our work for the glory of God, loving our neighbors even when they're a pain in the neck. Right? I, have, I have great neighbors, but I have had some neighbors in the past that were not great to live next to. Probably some of you are going through that now. <laughs> even in those moments, how do we love our neighbors? God has given us work for each day, To do now. It's good to see heaven and it's good to have a place to aim for a marker at the end of the journey, but we can't miss what's happening in the moment. And the last thing is in the phrase press on. Discipleship requires striving. It involves perseverance, discipline, concentration, right? Discipleship is not always easy. To engage in the best things God has for us requires putting our best foot forward each day to pursue his will. And it likely means that at points along the way there are going to be spiritual battles that we have to fight. And it's a reality that Satan stands against everything that God stands for. And when we put ourselves at the front lines of the battle of faith, there will be moments when we find opposition. Whether it's physical physical, Or spiritual, there is going to be opposition that we come up against. One of the greatest challenges is in battling them with the weapons that God's given us, rather than the ones that the world suggests. Ephesians talks about fighting with truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the Word of God. But often we're quicker to fight with wisdom, self-confidence, financial security, success, in our own physical strength. Right, sometimes those things work out. Sometimes they win battles, at least the way that the world evaluates a win, but rarely are they effective in winning the spiritual battles that come up against us. We have to fall fall back to what it tells us in Ephesians chapter six, truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. Discipleship requires perseverance, discipline, discipline and concentration on the things of God, which can only be found in knowing God, which leads then to a deeper knowledge of God. There were a lot of rides along the way that ended in flat tires, broken rims, <laughs> broken bones, physical exhaustion, but that never stopped me from continuing to ride. Right? The reward of completing the ride, of seeing parts of the country that nobody else sees, was always worth pressing forward, was always worth pressing on. And that's the point that I see Paul making here, right? Even if our faith, even if our discipleship leads to financial ruin, leads to being ridiculed socially, even if it leads to being cast out of our family, physically persecuted, those things are all nothing in view of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Nothing that we're going to come up with, even though in the moment it seems absolutely terrible, and that's because it is. You know, We don't want to discount the things that happen in life as being difficult, as being challenges that we have to face, as being hurtful, as being not the way that God intended it to. But sometimes we can grow from those things, and always we have to move on. We can't let those things stop us. We can't let those things stunt our growth in Christ. So as we move into this next year, I hope that we can do that with our eyes fixed on Christ. Forgetting what is behind. Moving on. Not forgetting necessarily in the sense that you just leave it all and don't grow and don't learn, but forgetting what's behind, not letting it stop us from moving forward. Looking forward to what's ahead and pressing on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ. Just like William Borden said, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. You know, New Year's is sometimes a challenge mentally. Uh, It can be overwhelming looking at an entire year coming forward, Uh, look back on the entire year that's passed And to see all the ways that we fell short, to see the ways that we didn't measure up to what we wanted to do, the ways that we thought you wanted us to grow. But God, don't let 2022 stop us from pursuing you and growing in an abundance of knowledge of who you are in 2023. God, I pray that we would look forward, that we would press into you, and that we would just continue pushing forward with everything we've got. Help us to set everything aside this morning to look at the new year as an opportunity to know you in a new way, a way that that helps us to understand how to get through the obstacles that will come in 2023. God, I ask your blessing on everybody who's here this morning just that you would open their eyes, that they would see you in a new and fresh way. You're an amazing God. We praise you and we serve you. In your name we pray. Amen.